0: Welcome to the Distinctive Christianity Podcast, where we seek to clarify distinctions between Mormon and creedal Christian worldviews. I'm Brendan Scoggin. I'm here with...
1: Skyler Hamilton.
0: Yeah. You listen to a lot of Johan, Skylar. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love Bach. Oh, Johan. I love Bach. That's our, what we call Lutheran him. Brother? That's what we call him in Texas.
0: <laughs> Johan. He's so great. Back. It it's, is good. And it, it makes us sound really smart yeah, absolutely. to have some Bach at the beginning. Prepares seems for appropriate. The,
1: yes. Prepares us for the NPR voice. Yeah. yeah. Yes,
0: our mothers are expecting us to have very good things to say today <laughs> after hearing that intro music. Well, we're glad that you're joining us for this pilot episode. Uh, the plan for this episode is just to introduce one another. And, uh, that way you as, as listeners can kind of know who you're listening to, at least in a cliff notes fashion. And, uh, then we'll talk a little bit about the purpose of the podcast, what we're hoping that this podcast will accomplish. And we'll finish up just, uh, explaining some of the format that we plan to have for the podcast. But, uh, we are thankful to have you along with us today. And I'm going to start just by, um, Kicking us off with introducing myself a bit, and then we're going to spend the majority of the time letting Skyler share some of his story, um, just because his story in particular has a lot of relevance to the podcast material, and so uh, we'll we'll do that in a little bit of an interview format. So, uh, who who am I? That's a you know (laughs) wonderful question. A dear brother. (laughs) I have a beard. Um, what are the things these people need to know about me? Oh, you know man. about I'm about six foot tall yep, uh, uh you know you preach well i I love preaching, so yeah, that Christmas service was yeah. fantastic, yes, we love our Christmas service it's always a good time of year um yeah, so just just a little bit about me a little bit uh on the briefer side, I would hope, but uh Yeah, I I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, and uh, not a lot of people know where Amarillo, Texas is unless you've driven through on I-40 and you went through the city that is in the middle of nowhere that you question why anybody would have stopped there. That's the city that I grew up in, Amarillo, Texas, there in the panhandle. And I grew up in an independent Baptist uh, church until I was about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, That means a lot of traditionalism within the church. Uh, uh, KJV was sort of the uh, standard translation that was used. Uh, A lot of legalism. Uh, I can even remember the pastor of the church one time scolding me on a Wednesday evening for walking into God's house with my baseball cap on. And uh, and so, yeah, and uh, it was also one of these churches. I don't know if people out here will have any context for this, but the Left Behind series came out when I was a kid, I which, of course, that. is a fictional series about the end times. And that was a basically read as scripture in the church. I was, <laughs> and it was, you, you, you had to have those books on your shelves. Um, so I grew up in that sort of legalistic environment and was a pretty spiritually sensitive kid. Just wanted to do right and good as much as I could. And when I became a teenager, the world started to get more of a grip on me. Uh, I really wanted to just be the cool, popular kid, so to speak. And so I started living very much a hypocritical double life and uh, would be the good church kid on Sundays and then would you know, be pretty carnal uh, the rest of the week when I was around my friends at school and everything else. And uh, during that time as well, the church that we were in had some substantial problems going on. And so my parents left with several families to start a new church. And that church uh, took took a bit of a turn. It, it was no longer going to be the really traditional style of church. It was going to be more of, uh, you know, let's, let's be, uh, I don't want to say relevant. I mean, it was, certainly was still a gospel preaching church but took more of a turn towards we're going to be very inviting towards everyone uh you know I was finally allowed to wear shorts to church on Sundays and that sort of a thing and there was a lot of positives in in that church for sure uh things that I'm thankful for uh but during my during my time there I, I still continued to just be hypocritical and was living a double life and uh it was the summer before my sophomore year that I was actually at a church camp, and the uh, pastor of the or the speaker at the camp was preaching, and the text he was using was Galatians two twenty. For I've been crucified with Christ; it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And the sermon was really hammering on this idea of following Jesus means death to self, no longer the promotion of the self, but you actually become united to Christ, and Christ becomes your all. And I just remember sitting there, and God was opening my eyes and was making it abundantly clear to me that both in my religiosity on Sundays and around my family. And in my life with my friends, I was just living for myself, and uh, that's not what it meant to be uh, in Christ. And God changed my heart and started me on a trajectory of uh, understanding Him and who He is. I suddenly had an appetite for the Bible that I'd never had before, started devouring it, and... Uh, the Lord put people in my life to disciple me and teach me the truth. I worked at a Christian bookstore that sold lots of heresy. <laughs> um, this is my senior year in, in high school. And yet God put this uh, really faithful brother in the book department with me. He was in his uh, mid to upper thirties at the time. And he started just challenging me, Hey, read, read this, read this, you know, and, and we'd have these long, deep conversations about theology and God and, and uh, yeah, the Lord just started to shape me and put within me a heart to want to be as fully devoted to teaching God's word to people and to loving the church. And uh, that shaped into a desire to be in pastoral ministry, which led me to, uh, after graduating from high school in Amarillo, moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I went to the undergrad institution of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We do like to say the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, The uh, president there is Albert Moeller, who's a pretty well-known public figure in the Christian world. Really, he's a faithful um, cultural analyst and uh, also theologian. But, um, yeah, so I went to the undergrad institution there, got my bachelor's um, in uh, biblical and theological studies, And then went on to their master's program and did an advanced MDiv at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I was in Louisville for eight years, met my wife along the way. We have five beautiful children now, ages eight and under, so we stay busy with that. And uh, yeah, I love talking about the subject matter of this podcast. And I was part of the heart behind wanting to get this thing going. One of my favorite activities, if you want to call it that, is engaging in these sorts of discussions, especially with friends who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, just having these deeper discussions. Um, so yeah, those are the cliff notes on my life uh, that are a relevant. Questions? I guess you could say, yeah, sure. Fire why, away. Why Utah?
1: Yeah, what, so... What led you from Amarillo, Texas, Louisville, Kentucky...
0: To yeah, out here to Utah, yeah. So when I was in uh, seminary, um, I took a class on new religious movements, and it was highlighting and focusing on various kind of newer movements. And by newer, uh, I mean nineteenth century onward. And so one of the ones we studied in depth was the LDS movement and the history and theology behind that. And that's what started to perk my interest toward. Uh, LDS people, and uh, of course, coming at it from my perspective, which I would expect any LDS person to understand, um, I would hope that they would understand. Anyways, uh, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints uh, is an organization that does not have the truth of God in it, and so, um, and of course, I would expect any hardcore LDS person to say you're wrong, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually you who don't have the truth exactly. of God. And then I would expect us to be able to have a good conversation about that. Right. But it was out of a heart for that that really started to uh, shape us in the direction of Utah. While I was at a church in Texas, in between my seminary years and here, uh, we started to connect with First Baptist Church of Provo, which it, I should probably mention is where I'm now one of the pastors and do the majority of the preaching Uh, teaching here at the church. Um, But we started a partnership with them, just seeing how we could support them in whatever way, because there's such a small evangelical Christian population out here. Um, Evangelical Christian churches benefit from partnerships with the broader body of Christ um, in other places. So yeah, so we we started that relationship. And every time I came out here, it's just like, I love being out here. I love being out and having conversations with People, as I already mentioned, and we do a lot of that with with folks, just engaging people on the streets and and other places, and uh, just grew to really love it. Uh, Now, that's the spiritual answer. The, maybe humanly speaking, I would have to say, it's the mountains and snow and all things outdoors, um, love. I love outdoor stuff, and my wife and I have always wanted to live somewhere where there's, there's beautiful mountains. Because we've always, you know, if, if we had to choose between the mountains and the beach, it's the mountains every day of the week. So uh, we're we're just overjoyed that we get to live in what we think is one of the most beautiful places in the world. So yeah,
1: for for those here in Utah that may not have and to a large degree, this includes me, if you go back far enough, but, you know, they might interact with, with say, I think it's First Baptist Church of Salt Lake. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So how would you articulate the distinctions? You know, they have a rainbow flag hanging on their church. Yeah, or whatever.
0: You're, you're opening a can there. Uh, it, so. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I just, just for people who don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that that's one of the things about uh, Protestantism that... Um, is important to identify is what are the main streams or uh, core or essential truths that must be held to in order to identify as Orthodox uh, and what I mean by that is it's just a biblical Christian and uh, and so there's a set of beliefs that of course we would argue and will argue over the course of this podcast have been passed down from generation to generation uh, even if only through a remnant at certain points in church history uh, but primarily through, the, uh, preservation of the word of God, the Bible. Um, there, there are teachings that we have that we ought to build our lives and our faith upon. And, uh, there's many of those teachings that we would say that churches that even identify using the same names as us have abandoned. And, and, uh, if you abandon those core teachings, then, you know, we would say you are not one of us. And, uh, And so it it doesn't matter what you call yourself, you know, if you want to continue calling yourself the First Baptist Church of Salt Lake City, you may have some Baptist distinctives about you. Uh, Many of those churches are really, they they wouldn't even hold the Baptist distinctives anymore. They might as well change their name to something else because their name doesn't accurately identify their beliefs anymore. But uh, in any case, we we definitely here at uh, First Baptist Church of Provo are... Theologically conservative. We hold to biblical inerrancy. Uh, We hold to the infallibility of the Word of God, even as it has been transmitted to us, that the words that we have are trustworthy. Um, Though, of course, we would not claim that the copies of scripture that we have now are perfect. We would say that the original autographs were perfect. But that the way that it's been passed down through time, God has preserved the Elements of truth in the Word, um, in a in a truly extraordinary manner. When you compare the Bible to any other historical book, tit for tat. So, um, so we hold to the Word of God as God's words, and we preach accordingly. We we are a biblically centered church. Everything here has to do with what the Bible teaches, what God has to say to us. How do we rightly understand it, and how do we live our lives by it? Um, so. Yeah, those are probably the the cliff notes. Absolutely. um,
1: I just know that that can be an issue. Uh, For example, uh, Pastor Jason Wallace of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church here in Utah, uh, Christ Presbyterian Church, of which I'm a member,
0: of course. Are you are you saying that a, a Baptist and a Presbyterian have started a <laughs> be podcast friends. together? <laughs> yes. Is that what you are saying? Absolutely. Are you saying we affirm <laughs> yeah. most of the same beliefs? It's, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: wow. Absolutely. And, and and this is what's interesting is that if you compared the Presbyterian Church United States of America (PCUSA), which has I think a couple, maybe even more than that, locations here in Utah, as a denomination, they would be more similar to the First Baptist Salt Lake they would have probably more in common with each other uh, than either of them would have with us. And that's true of us. right? Um, so even though believers tend to have more distinctives, the deeper you go, mm-hmm. um, there's just something about conservative Orthodox theology that I think is more uniting than the impression would
0: be on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. All right. That's enough about me. Time to, Talk about you, <laughs> oh which, by the way, just so that uh, listeners know, <laughs> these are the introductions of the podcast. We'll get to we'll get to what the majority of the content is going to be like. But yeah. the only reason we're doing this on the first episode is so you know who you're listening to. Whether you, whether or not you care about that, I don't know, <laughs> or should care. Uh, you probably shouldn't care about that at all. But uh, yeah, um, I've got a few just questions to help maybe guide some of the responses for you, Skyler, but uh, you might, you might just share. I mean, I I guess I'll, I'll share you, you grew up LDS um, with a little bit of complicated, interesting background alongside of that. Uh, But why don't you share a little bit with us about what that was like for you? What, what your family was like, what kind of the influence of the, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints had upon you and upon your family growing up, uh, where you fit into it. Were you were you a, a nominal LDS family? Uh, were you kind of just decent, did enough to get by, um, without being considered nominal, or, or were you all in? Like, where were you on the spectrum? Because as we know, there is a spectrum, uh, both within evangelical Christianity and within LDSism. So. How would you describe that?
1: Yeah, there sure is. Um, Cliff Notes version. <laughs> so, yes, my, my mother was believing LDS. And my father um, tried it for a while, ended up leaving, and I would describe him as, depending on his mood, agnostic, atheist, Um. Though in other moods he might say something positive about Jesus, so I <laughs> I'm taking this quote out of context, but it's almost like there is no God, but Jesus was a son, <laughs> kind of uh, thinking. So, uh, unbelieving father, believing LDS mother, and you know, no pioneer roots on either side, um, but at the same time. Recent converts on both sides. Um, my grandfather was from England, and um, did you mention you you grew up
0: here in Utah? I yeah, don't know so, if you mentioned that. Before. Yeah, so I was
1: born in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay, yep. So I do have some roots. There to help hillbilly country. That explains the accent. <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Kidding. I, it, I mean, out in the middle of nowhere of Arkansas. And I'm glad during summers, my mom would let me go back to Arkansas, stay with the grandparents and stuff. Um, so I'm not totally disconnected from it, but very rural Arkansas. Um, and um, so very young. My mom moved in with her parents um, here in the Salt Lake Valley, actually just north of it, mm-hmm. Bountiful, Farmington area. And uh, my grandfather was an attorney for the Curtin-McConkie, the LDS church's law firm. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother had a story that was very popular uh, among the LDS community. It was included in Spencer Kimball's book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, mm-hmm. um, so, which is kind of fallen out of favor today, yeah. Um, but still there, and I think the more believing LDS people, especially the older generation, would know that book as a standard. I think it would used to even be included in the missionary library. So i um, so I grew up here in that environment, but never quite fully in the culture. So if I describe myself. Um, In terms of where I am on the spectrum, it, of course, changed over time. Um, I was always a very questioning kid. Um, So I was never, I never fit into just the kind of conformity that was especially true when I was a kid. (laughs) It's probably less so now. And you're you're
0: still a questioning adult. Yeah, absolutely. That's just how you're wired.
1: (laughs) Hey, Christians can ask questions, believe it or not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... Trying to think of how to move this along. So I would say culturally, I never was, you know, I had long hair in high school. That made me stand out. Yeah. Uh, even as a kid in elementary school with my parents being divorced, that was very unusual. You at got the time. your first tattoo when you were eight. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was. It just an incredibly insular culture. Read here. the
0: sarcasm on that. People,
1: Absolutely, please. yes. Please. Skyler did not get a tattoo when he was, at
0: least, not that I know of. I mean, maybe no, we not. need to have confession. Not when I was
1: eight, no, no, but I may have watched my dad get a tattoo when I was eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, so, yeah, it was a definitely, definitely. I had two kind of lives in that sense. You know, when I go visit my dad on the weekends, it was very much um, totally different from here. So i I, I definitely experienced. More, you know, my dad drinking coffee, smoking whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not typical of LDS people here. Where even what Starbucks went out of business Uh, near Walmart in Payson years ago. Yeah, it's obviously not true now, but um, you know, uh, to going with my dad drinking all that.
0: So you 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 weren't (laughs) drinking with your dad. No, no. To be (laughs) clear, no, not at all uh just being around it. <laughs> yeah, and, oh yeah.
1: You know, and and being yeah. around people of different faiths and Yeah, or so
0: you, so you sort of had this really faithful LDS like committed side of the family and your mom's side. Yes. Uh your dad's side even had some, some. converts, some. but for the most part your dad's side was more your dad was more atheistic, more yeah. anti yeah. religion and uh mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, that's a pretty interesting dynamic to grow up in.
1: Very. Yeah, I would say he was a new atheist before it was cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Bill Maher guy from the early 90s kind of thing. Um, but then he would have these moods, right, um, where it wasn't as harsh. Mm-hmm. So it's still something I'm processing, I guess, now that I'm talking about it. Yeah,
0: but I do think it it uh, it does cause you to grow up in an environment that that fosters, well, maybe requires that you actually think about this stuff. You know yes. what I mean? Because you're being torn in two directions quite regularly trying to figure out, you know, why, why don't my parents agree on this? Um, what, wh- what is true? Like my dad says this and my mom says this. So yeah, I mean, yep. you can see how that from a very, very early age is going to produce a lot of, thought in you. Absolutely. Over what's true.
1: Yes. And I can look back and kind of see God's hand and even some of my interactions there. Uh, one story that comes to mind is I remember um, we're going to Sunday school and it was John 2. And they were, of course, went out of their way to say, this was not actually wine. This was, you know, grape juice yeah. or something, you know, because obviously Jesus wouldn't drink wine. yeah. Um, or <laughs> and I remember my dad picked me up for, to go to probably Applebee's because that was the only place you could get mm. beer in Utah Valley. Yeah. And, you know, asked me how my day was. And I said, you know, talked to him about what I learned. And I just remember, and I'll leave out the expletive, um, my dad saying, that is totally bogus. Yeah. Um, the whole point of the miracle is that it takes time to make good wine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just was indignant about it. Yeah. And that, even just that was key. And I can look back mm. and see how that had an impact in how I could see how LDS people filter the scriptures through their ethical values. Yeah. And, um, by the way, um, in fact, I don't think this has ever even come up. The first book of Bible scholarship I ever got was from my dad.
0: Yeah. Um, mm.
1: and it was around that time. I still own it. It's wow. a very old Bible Dictionary has a lot of archaeology and stuff like that. Wow, it's one of my prized.
0: Yeah. So as you grew up in that environment, how did you start to become shaped over time? Um, Would you say that as you kind of grow into teenage Skyler and uh, yeah, what what did your life look like? Were you really involved in the LDS Church at that point? Um, Maybe still with some questions. Were you trying to reconcile? the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or did you find yourself really drifting away? Like, Where where did you grow into as you grew up in that environment?
1: That's a good question. Of
0: course, there's cycles,
1: ebbs and flows. Um, I had a lot of friends that were in it. Their whole families were. And so that encouraged me in it for sure. Boy Scouts at the time. I don't even think they do Boy Scouts anymore, but uh, Boy Scouts at the time was a big deal for me and kept me going and active. I always had questions. And it wasn't until later that I realized how good some of the bishops were when I say good. uh, Qualified good, of course. Some of the leaders I had had were, in terms of understanding and treating me better Mm -hmm. than what I would, for example, experience in the MTC and some of the other leaders I would experience later in life. Yeah. Uh, people that were okay with me not being absolutely certain about everything and um, questioning even the brethren or whatever, or specific quotes. I always, I, I always valued history. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember uh, in my grandma's library, they had a lot of older Mormon books, including all 26 volumes of the journal discourses. And I remember even as a kid looking, reading some of it, being like, wow, that's, you know, at the time it was more, There's mystique to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's certainly not what I was hearing now. So I definitely had a lot of the historical issues that have become prominent now were were less prominent culturally then, and I definitely had them in my head. Fon Brody's
0: no man is my history, for example. So so would you say that some of your questioning, maybe even early on than the average person, led you into trying to understand LDS teachings on a deeper level?
1: Absolutely. You would think it would... uh, lead me more directly to where I am now as a Christian that disavows all that. But it didn't. Um, in fact, the more I studied the ideas of early Mormonism, the more I came to believe them and see them as more consistently, um, more consistent and logically
0: consistent. Yeah. And, um, more so anyways.
1: yeah, Yeah. And it's, it's hard looking back, you know, I, I think, um, most people's stories would emphasize more the experiences they had. I definitely had them. And that's, that's something that I still kind of wrestle with how to, Mm -hmm. how to understand. Um, I did not think if I had an experience about this, it meant everything was true. But at the same time, I I definitely had the standard testimony experience of these spiritual experiences personally. And with other people that I thought that I interpreted at the time as uh, the Holy ghost telling me this was true mm-hmm. and you know so a lot of the standard arguments would originally work and then maybe i'd nuance it nuance it you know like how could anyone write the book of Mormon or whatever you know but then i would realize oh this and this and this and this and this mm-hmm. and um but yeah instead it it led me into early mormon beliefs everything but polygamy i should say up front yeah um as more true that if anything had been revealed it was there in that early period yeah and i saw more and more the gap between yeah. the early and the yeah,
0: how does how does your experience with that rub against what we see in modern LDSism, at least on a popular level? Um, because I could imagine that a lot of our LDS friends listening, uh, they might hear the direction of your journey and just think, oh, you know, like yeah. just be frustrated by it, um, mm-hmm. because that's not that's just not the norm uh, in terms of what we see today. We don't see a lot of people diving into the roots of Mormonism and trying to reconcile the beliefs um with what they they see as true, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um
1: if, if people do engage in the history, it's more associated with what, anti-Mormonism or something. Yeah. Like, some label yeah. like that. Um, when <laughs> I'm if I'm reading quote unquote anti Mormons, it's to figure out what Mormonism is yeah. and, and believing it. Uh yep. I, yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is that I don't think anybody should um, change their mind just based on my story, Right. to be clear. This isn't yeah. just like a Mormon testament I'm trying to emotionally manipulate anybody. Oh, yeah. I want to convince them, Yep. and that's heart and mind. Um, yeah. And frankly, it's not that I'm the authority. I want them to see that the Bible oh, yeah. is the authority, that yep. the Bible has been faithfully preserved and faithfully interpreted throughout church history, even among all the debates that there have been among Christians. Yeah. So that, but I, I do think, yeah, it, it did stand out where I think a lot of people, they reconciled the differences by going into more shallow forms. And that, that's going to sound rude, but I think it's true. Shallow forms, what Sandra Tanner calls PR Mormonism. Yeah. Um, to, it, it, the more shallow you make it, the more it doesn't seem to conflict at the bottom. That's right. I went deeper in yeah. and to really tried to, as best I can figure out, if things have gone wrong in Mormon history, I mean, the apostasy narrative, Right. That I thought it, that I put on Christianity. I also brought into Mormonism just mm-hmm. thought maybe there's been a slow decline mm-hmm. instead of a slow triumph. Or yeah. you
0: know, when did things go wrong? Yeah. So so if anything, you you could have been on a trajectory to starting a new sect of Mormonism. <laughs> <laughs> I and literally I mean,
1: there I can remember conversations where I was asked about that.
0: Yeah. It's pretty
1: it's it's sad looking back. That I yeah. did I even thought, Well, oh, I'm going to figure it yeah. out loud. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so what, what were maybe, I mean, I, I know this is, this is a tough thing to do, but if you were to boil, boil it down to like three, three to five significant moments that you had that uh, you're like, man, th- these were big realizations for me uh, just as you were searching and digging. Um, what, what would be some of those particular moments or realizations in your faith journey that returning points for you, in some sense of the word?
1: Man, that is a
0: good question. And of course,
1: I hope some of this stuff will come out through the year as we go through the Bible. I think I I already mentioned, obviously, the huge disparities, distinctions between the phases of Mormonism. Mm -hmm. I remember... Uh, really getting into some of the early stuff like King Follett Discourse, um, Brigham Young's Sermon Man, which I think is still one of the most underrated in terms of early Mormon stuff. Mm -hmm. And then hearing Gordon B. Hinckley go on Larry King Live. And Gordon B. Hinckley is beloved. And there's going to be people that are mad that I would ever say anything negative about him. But I'm telling you, as a Mormon, I thought he was awful. Because Mm. here he is on Larry King Live, this huge public attention on the LDS church. There's a reason we're Mormon. There's a reason that we're different from everyone else. I mean, even in the, what the missionaries say to this day, all the creeds are an abomination. The church had to be restored, all this stuff. And here's this chance for a prophet, which I thought the role of a prophet was to proclaim this truth to the world, Mm -hmm. not just become everyone's friends and say that we really don't disagree. Yeah. On Larry King asked point blank. And of course they're going to be like, Oh, he misquoted. him." no, watch the clip, I'm roughly quoting it, where he says, you know, well, we hear, you know, your church teaches We can put the
0: clip in the show notes as well.
1: Okay, yeah, you know, we hear your church teaches that, you know, men can become gods. And um, Hinckley says something to the effect of, well, I don't don't think we know very much about that. Mm -hmm. Really? Here's your opportunity to be a prophet to the world and instead minimize it So w- this beloved figure for LDS, because I think on one hand, they really want to be unique, mm. but on the other hand, they want everybody to love them. And you'll see that cycle, that kind of paradox between yeah. the two. Um, for me,
0: it was like, if we're Mormon, let's be Mormon. Yeah. How, how old, I mean, just for timeline sake, how, how old were you uh, roughly? It's a good question. When, uh, so these be... sorts of things are coming up. I mean, I was, I would say, Three, the eight
1: to 11 range. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was a kid, but yeah. I was questioning, I, you know, mm-hmm. if we had my mom in here, she could testify to this, that, you know, I, I was asking tough questions, uh, pretty early. Yeah. I th- I don't know if the divorce contributed to
0: some of that. Right. What? But, yeah. Um, I'm sure it all plays a role. Yeah. Any other things that just kind of key realizations for you? Yeah. So someone
1: that loves history, um, I think a huge one was studying the Middle Ages. First, just out of curiosity, what happened. Um, and, um, of course, I had a very... Uh, I had a presupposition about the Middle Ages, that it would be dark, you know, Bruce R. McConkie called it the Black Millennium, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, of course, it, they they would probably deny it now, but even in the MTC, I was taught that uh, the Great and Embodid Church was the Roman Catholic Church. Right. And, of course, we are just, you know, the break off of the you know we're just a symptom of the great abominable mm-hmm. church and so i was taught that it would be this darkness and you know and then you actually look into it and it's just an incredible time of history you know um if the time period that invented the university natural or you know international law architecture art the greatest music in the history of the world i mean um <laughs> just incredible technological innovation empirical science male accountability before law, economics. Um, if that period is dark, I mean, what what would we call our time mm. or other times? I just realized that the apostasy narrative didn't work. Yeah. Now, once again, that didn't lead me to questioning all of it. Uh, when I researched, I realized, man, early Mormonism did not promote itself using the great apostasy narrative. Um, and so I figured that Joseph Smith had restored something, but... Uh, over time, it became more and more associated with Gnosticism and hmm. uh, Gnostic stuff in the time period of early Christianity, rather than what we have in the New Testament, for example.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So it just c- caused me to try to reframe and think, okay, this narrative doesn't work. Uh, maybe I can find, and maybe I can improve it. Yeah, it, maybe I can find a narrative that does work to protect what I want to be true, which um, was really thinking that Joseph Smith was you know, the profit of this dispensation.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Was there, was there anything along the way that started making progress, uh, toward trusting some of the core doctrines of biblical Christianity? Um, you know, any, any material or I don't know, like videos, things that you saw that just like, man, this is really helpful, and pushes against the things that I've been taught to believe growing up, especially maybe even considering what what the Bible is. Um, you know, because I I know as, uh, just even from previous conversations with you, there there's a there's a lot of. Uh, I mean, we know that a person who grows up in the LDS Church is told constantly that. The Bible, which is going to be the source material this this year, ironically enough, but it's, that it's been corrupted significantly. Um, so it, it, it's a, it's quite a jump for you to go from, you know, that belief, worldview, system, way of thinking, which really is liberal theology, yeah, um, into a more conservative like this is God's word and it's trustworthy. Like, what were some of the things that shaped you in all of that?
1: Well, that's,
0: um, of course, a complicated answer. I can only
1: pick out highlights that come to mind right now. But there were plenty of seeds that were planted. Um, as, once again, a thoughtful Mormon that was in, wanted to understand the Bible, and really I couldn't leave it alone. Um, I should say this. I, my story, I do not relate at all to many people who have left the LDS church And have completely left Jesus, with it. So, though I'm not saying God God's hand was in my idolatry as I shape shift the image of Jesus in my mind to fit wherever I was at the time, um, I could never just reject it. That was that whatever system I believed in, Jesus had to be, at least in my mind, central. Yeah. So that led me to, of course, respect the Bible more than usual. Mm-hmm. That being said, I did, I, I did think that scribes had changed it. Plain and precious things had been removed. Um, that this was one of the crimes of the Catholic church. So of course I'm attracted to conspiracy theories about the Vatican and whatever,
0: mm-hmm.
1: as well as to scholars such as Bart Ehrman. And I, I mean, I remember his,
0: uh, his misquoting Jesus. Who who, who is, stories. who is, I mean, I, yeah. obviously I know, but some of our listeners may not know who Barterman yeah, is. So
1: Barterman was, um, in fact, let me put it in the best light possible. Right.
0: Um, he has a story that's very
1: attractive a testimony. that's really attractive to a lot of people because he came out of kind of believing evangelicalism. He's kind Bible of like Institute. the original
0: deconstruction narrative. He really is. Yeah, maybe he
1: started it all. Kind
0: of the, <laughs> he's a trendsetter.
1: Yeah. And of course ended up at, Princeton, right,
0: mm-hmm. and um,
1: studied under Bruce Metzger, and his I, Bruce, I Bruce
0: Metzger being one of the best scholars when it comes to the transmission of the transmission Bibles. of the Bible. Like, highly recommend reading his stuff.
1: Absolutely. Um, in fact, I, I I only encountered him secondhand because of Bart, but excellent scholar, uh, one of the best in the English speaking world on that subject, and um, but he. He wrote books talking about really emphasizing um, the lack of trustworthiness in the the transmission of the Bible, at least in its earliest phases. And I'm trying to be fair here and brief, but, um, and then also emphasizing in his original book, and I think 1993, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Orthodox corruption of scripture, that there are changes that we see in the manuscript tradition that show that there were intentional changes that were doctrinally motivated. Mm-hmm. And of course, I needed those two pieces to hold it all together. Right? Yeah. So on one hand, I need the Bible because of Jesus. Um, not as, not recognizing all that that entailed in terms of the old at this point. But at the same time, you can't say oh, it's enough because why, what what needs to be restored if it's not enough? So I became very attracted, for example, to Uh, The so-called Gospel of Thomas is not a gospel, but things like that. Things that a lot of, um, I would say, the ermine culture creates, Mm -hmm. which is a um, relativizing of the authority, of the trustworthiness, of the, the documents that actually became canonical relative to later stuff, right? And even if they say in the footnotes or technically in their books that none of this is first century and as trustworthy. They've already kind of brought in these assumptions to relativize it. And and therefore you see in a lot of their books, quotations of the, you know, I don't know the gospel of Judas Mm -hmm. gospel about Judas, I should say, um, as if it's on the same level as the gospel of Luke. And so when you create more data points, you can more easily fit whatever Jesus you want. Yeah. You know, the feminist Jesus, the, this Jesus, the
0: socialist Jesus, whatever. Yeah. So you're riding the, the BART train yeah. Which is what, you know, ironically the subway <laughs> system in San Francisco is called. You're, yeah. you're on the BART. Yeah. What derailed it,
1: man? Uh, that also was slow. I, I should mention one other name and then I will get to that specifically. Um, she's a big deal and she, by the way, I've met her. She's a very kind person and definitely an, a mind to be dealt with. I, I don't want this to seem personal at all. Um, fact I was very appreciative of the time she spent with me just you know I'm not I wasn't even a student mm-hmm. but she was willing to engage with me as I asked questions her name's Margaret Barker she's a liberal methodist um and she is she was doing for the old testament what Bart was kind of doing with the new mm-hmm. in the sense that what she did is she saw building on you know a lot of higher criticism that came before um competing theologies in the old testament Um, therefore kind of getting out of the way, the unity that would be there for a believer, Uh, for an Orthodox believer. So, but I will say this, you know, some of her books did communicate to me very clearly that there's a lot of depth here. Mm -hmm. And so though, you know, I don't agree with her like I used to, God, I think also used that to say, to to help me see that, Depth that there is available in the Bible that it's not just the superficial reading of proof texting and finding well this story is over here and this story is over here and the, you know the the kind of pop ermanism yep uh, and um, so but I definitely thought well the Old Testament doesn't all agree with itself so there's a later monotheistic trend but maybe Jesus was restoring the polytheism of the Old Testament and you know Christianity went that Deuteronomistic sorry Deuteronomy Deuteronomistic trend into monotheism that led to the trinity but we're believing what they originally believed and we believe what they originally believed. So it, it allowed the kind of restoration apostasy narrative centered on Joseph Smith's King fallen discourse to survive mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. Um, and, and just always with the caveat that I thought maybe Joseph Smith revealed more than maybe someone like Isaiah did. Yeah. But it, at the same time, I didn't totally dismiss the old, like you will encounter yeah. among a lot of LDS. Now I will say this, uh, one thing with Erman directly that I had not encountered, um, and by the way, it was not even on the first time I watched, but it was James White's. He's a Reformed Baptist, I believe, out of Arizona. Yeah, Baptistic. Um, yes, yeah. He's a friend's with my current pastor as well, so he came and spoke here pretty recently. But
0: yeah, pretty pretty well known apologist. Yeah, and he does interact with LDS well, yeah, theology it, it, a lot. And I think he's one of the more
1: helpful voices out yes. there on this. Um, in fact, by the way, I have, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I literally have Bart Ehrman's misquoting Jesus here. Oh, yeah. I had James White sign it. So, yeah, I have a, an autographed <laughs> copy. <laughs> but when he debated Bart Ehrman, I was thinking,
0: I'm going to just watch Ehrman
1: whop this guy intellectually. Oh, yeah. Like,
0: I thought there were no arguments
1: to be had.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, White is interesting because, you know, on the surface, he doesn't seem to have the same sort of credentials that yeah. uh, Ehrman does in terms of the. The uh, educational background and things of that nature. And uh, Ehrman's study has been deeply in the area of textual criticism, uh, whereas White, he's he's more broad in his apologetic mm-hmm. efforts. Um, now, Ehrman has dipped into lots of other things, but I mean, a- a academically, his background yes. is in studying That's a specialty. textual criticism. Um, so, you would expect in a debate like that, Ehrman to wipe the floor with James White.
1: Yeah. And if you watch it, I think Ehrman was expecting that.
0: Yeah. And,
1: um, you know, the first time I watched it, I realized, man, some of these arguments are pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, I had to think about it. And then I rewatched it. And I rewatched it. And then I started reading more, both books I had and ordering books I hadn't. And I just realized, wow, like the cost. I, I realized how presuppositional the, the nature of the case was that so much of the debate was not so much the evidence as what they were bringing to it. And, right. and that's what I was doing. I yeah. needed Ehrman to support my Mormonism, even yep. though uh, that's not what he's trying to do. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I realized in that debate there was a moment that really spoke to the heart there where Ehrman becomes very evangelical. For his agnosticism, yeah. So I realized there's two evangelicals on the stage, mm-hmm. not just one. Yeah. And I then I, I think one of the things that, and I really value ancient history. One of the things that really spoke to me was why always tying it relative to other fields. Mm-hmm. That you know, if we cannot trust this textual transmission, how do we know anything from antiquity? Yep. You know, uh, that's not on stone, or you know, I know there's exceptions in terms of the medium. Yeah. But I mean even Ehrman himself was like, yeah, it's the best attested. Yeah. The new Testament is the best tested book of antiquity. So I, I just came to realize, um, maybe I was wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps the arguments Ehrman's making aren't as strong as yeah. you think once yes. you start to interact with somebody who can hold their own on yeah. the other side. And you can say how personal it got in the Q and a, yeah. Uh, I, uh, We'll we'll put a yeah. we'll put a link to that debate Absolutely. in the show notes as well. It's, yeah, a, it's I, a good one. It
1: is. And and so that if we have the actual words, then the debates of course shift. And I and I could be all day here talking about this and this and this and this. But um, that was a huge one. Yeah. That was a
0: huge one for me. Yeah. That's good. So yeah, you've already touched on some of this, but at this point, you're still investigating everything. As much as I can. Um, you're still going through I mean, I think you'd even describe it as a traumatic experience of, of trying to dissect what you believe. Um, I, I, don't, I don't love the term deconstructionism because yeah. it's so popular in some negative ways right now, but I mean, yeah. that's what you're doing. You're, you're taking your beliefs apart and you're putting them together, trying to figure out what you believe. How in the world do you become an evangelical Christian? That is
1: a good question. Of course, Part of that question is the intellectual part, but ideas have consequences, right? Yeah, a great book, uh, for, uh. RC. Yeah, and yeah, there's a, a fact. There's a second book that has that title as well, but they're both good books. Yeah, but I, I'm obviously in my private life, um, and I, I didn't say this. It was, you know, around 22, 21, 22 years old. I I went inactive for a long time, very dark phase of my life. Um, centered on some things that you know, maybe some other time we can get into, but I then became as active as I'd ever been about age 21, 22, somewhere in there with a bishop. I didn't even live in his ward, but I was uh, dating a girl that was. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a bishop over by UVU uh, among college student ward. Right. And he really took the time to hear me out. And um, long story short, basically said, what would it take to get you here? Um, like you have a very complicated story, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma. Um, and he, he's like, well, what kind of calling would keep you here? And So uh, I said, teacher thinking, of course he wouldn't do that. He's like, oh, okay. All right. Next week, you know, gospel doctrine teacher. And that year was the most positive Mormon experience of my life. Yeah. So you, you've taught through the material. The Old Testament. That will be for interacting year. with, yeah. And I, I went to the temple every week that year. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't want um, any LDS listeners that, that hear, or post-LDS listeners, either that into more fundamentalist Mormonism, mm-hmm. which doesn't always mean polygamist, right? It can be Denver Snuffer. There's a lot of figures out there. Right, right. Um. I don't want them to hear me as saying that, I got offended, you know, spilt milk or whatever these cliches are. Because that year, um, you know, I, I, I can say in terms of happiness, it uh, was one of the happiest years of my life. I'm not yeah. the happiest. and that's But, but <laughs> that doesn't mean it was true, right? right. And um, But, I, I mean, I went to the temple every Monday. I finally start to, started to understand what I thought was the temple. And uh, I had a purpose because every week I'm preparing for the next week's lesson and trying my best to um, teach what I thought was
0: restored truth. Yeah. There's something, humanly speaking, that's satisfying about not going against the grain anymore. Yeah. You know, yep. just just kind of getting in and going with the flow. Yep. Um, it, ju- it does. It just makes life easier. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter what religious system you're in. If you fully commit to that system, you're going to be more comfortable than if you're in the system and you're rebelling against it. Absolutely. But that doesn't make it true.
1: doesn't make it true. And I, of course, what I was doing, and you'll recognize this as theological liberalism, um, though I wouldn't have identified that way, Mm -hmm. is I was redefining Mormonism to be the truth. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not just studying the old, old, what I can do with the words of the KJV English of the Old Testament. I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita. I'm, going to the krishna temple i'm you know of course studying early mormonism um one one thing that was really good well, could, well not really good but relatively speaking good is i also had a commentary my my step grandpa uh, had a, a sister who was jewish and i got to use a rabbinic commentary of the old testament so that, that actually planted some seeds mm-hmm. that i could get into some other time but yeah but basically you know i had this believing year but there just came a point I couldn't pretend anymore mm-hmm. that I realized that I'm constantly reinterpreting everything in the temple recommend interview. You know, they asked, do you sustain the leaders? And of course I didn't trust any of them. Yeah. I thought they had betrayed, uh, Smith at that time. And yeah. I just realized I'm living a lie Yeah, here. I am living as moral quote unquote as I've ever lived. And yet I'm living a lie. Mm. And, uh, so I can, recall the last time I went to an LDS church other than going to friends, homecomings right, and all right, that. Yep. But I, you know, um, there were enough seeds planted age 22, 23. Yeah. That, that was that 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. And, and then, sorry, now I remember where I was going. Yeah. Uh, leaving LDSism was really hard. Yeah. But if you think that's hard, try leaving Mormonism. Mm-hmm. So many people that leave, keep the precepts. Can you clarify that distinction? Yes. Um, and of course I'm speaking roughly, um, I would say LDS is the current LDS church. That's how I'm using it, Uh, is that it's people who are loyal to the current leadership of the church in Salt Lake City.
0: The culture, the current teachings. Sure, and there's a range there,
1: but Mm -hmm. people who are more or less loyal to what they hear every six months in general conference Mm -hmm. and are connected currently. Yeah. Um, And there's a right and left to that. I get that. Not trying to oversimplify. Mormonism is deeper in this sense. It's, I think it's deeper historically. It's, it reads the King Follett discourse and doesn't just play word games. They, they see what Joseph Smith taught, part of what Brigham taught. Of course, Brigham's a minefield no matter what kind of Mormon you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs them, but nobody wants them, that's yeah. how I put it yeah. with Brigham Young. Um, but uh, you know, the, the more committed to the core teachings of what made Mormonism different, yep. even in the 19th century and that was, that was even more painful. Yeah. Uh, because that was existential. Yeah. I mean, uh, and those were
0: the deeply held beliefs that you were trying to hold on to and reconcile. Absolutely. Um, so for you, it was easier and some of this perhaps even has to do with your family background, Mm -hmm. but it was easier for you to let go of the cultural elements, the, the, modern church, so to speak, than it was the more deeply held beliefs of older, older teachers and yes. prophets and that you totally that wrap
1: your identity around it. Yeah, it. I, I mean, so if you don't, aren't active in the LDS church, and I experienced this, especially on my mom's side, um, a couple times specifically come to mind where they act almost like, well, you don't want to live it right now. But there's always this assumption that you'll come back or whatever. Right. But tell them you don't believe it, yeah. and you don't you reject that Joseph Smith is a prophet. It, hmm. They would much rather have someone drinking, getting tattoos, or whatever, yeah, yeah. superficially mm-hmm. uh, that adhere that still sincerely believes because of some experience they had as a teenager or as a yeah. kid or whatever, hmm. than someone who just openly says, "No, I reject it. I don't believe it." Yeah. And so you know, getting your name removed from the roles in Salt Lake are one thing, but leaving that worldview was like a death. Yeah. And I, I really mean it. it. And for people that associate the spirit with only comfort, comfortable feelings, joy, happiness, which is prominent in this culture where they yeah. really assume comfort is truth somehow. It's very hedonistic epistemology actually, you know, feels good is good stuff in the church and outside the church. Yeah. Um, challenging that at the deepest level by the Lordship of Christ is a death. Yeah. Absolutely is a death. And it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to express. Um, but I, I, I mean, it, it border, it, it, it felt like, I'm not saying clinically, but a nervous breakdown. I mean, yeah. I just realized I couldn't hold the pieces together anymore. I had to at least I had to be loyal to Smith and, basically just think that even Jesus got it wrong in Mark 12, for example, when he says there's only one God Yeah. or hold on to this kind of worldview, no matter the decorations I put on it, that if I'm obedient, gain enough knowledge. And of course Mormons will emphasize the knowledge component more uh, LDS will emphasize the morality, the ethical part. Right. Right. But both are there no matter which phase, but you know, you obey your way into Godhood and become Gods, like that's the whole point. It's still there in the temple. It's still there, just with more PR spin to make it sound like it's just therapy. But uh, um, I I realized
0: either that that stuff's a lot clearer in the earlier teachings. (laughs) It is, it is (laughs) than it is now. Absolutely,
1: but you know, it's still there, but definitely just watered down more. Mm -hmm. But you know, I just realized like they can't both be true. Like I can't reconcile. There being only one God and there being infinite number of gods that I potentially can become. Yeah. I can't reconcile God always being God because he's ontologically distinct from everything else. And, you know, me becoming that mm-hmm. or him becoming that. Yeah. yeah. You just can't do it.
0: So I have jotted down here that you were baptized. In the Christian Reformed Church yes. on May sixteenth of twenty twenty one, I was. Um, that's you know, year and a half ago. <sighs> yeah, not so, long ago. Yeah, so get us get us there.
1: Okay, um,
0: I'll try to make this story short.
1: Um, I'm, I'm realizing more and more that if we know anything about Jesus, once again, very critical mind so not skepticism is not bad it's it's more cynicism right where it's like you just don't trust anything there unless yeah. you can somehow historically
0: we we should be clear too that um, from from that period of having a year of your life where you're all in yeah. with mormonism and ldsism yeah. to your baptism we're talking about a 10 year period yeah. of deep thinking yeah. questioning chaos exploring in the yeah um and, and and I'll just say you know um that I, it, and maybe this is just because I don't get out much I, I get out plenty but <laughs> but I would say that you Skyler are one of the most well-read guys when it comes to thinking deeply and theologically on the content material and matter of this podcast and a lot of that is because of that wrestling. I would think that you did over a 10 year period. Um, but I just want listeners to have the context that this wasn't like an overnight thing no. for you where you're like, okay, I, I, I just immediately realized that everything I was taught growing up is not true. And that this is the truth. Um, it was, it was a journey, uh, quite Absolutely. a journey. So, so anyways, get us, get no, us no, to no, the point, you know, what no, What were you. some of the significant moments when, you finally decided it's time to be baptized into an evangelical Christian church.
1: Yeah. um, Man, what to focus on. I think one key experience was um, just recognizing more and more how dependent on the New Testament we are for accurate information about Jesus. That if this isn't trustworthy this other stuff isn't either. Like why? Um, and and th- this was an actual conversation I had with somebody where I'm like, even Bart Ehrman, when he writes a book on the historical Jesus, he uses the gospel of Mark. Yeah. He may totally discount John in a way we wouldn't. Right. Um, But even he will use Mark to say, this is who Jesus was in history yep. as wrong as he may be. And Jesus clearly teaches the Shema. There's only one God in Mark 12 is the most important commandment. So I just started more and more realizing There's no getting around it. Jesus had the worldview of the Old
0: Testament, not the worldview of Gnosticism.
1: And which that
0: that that, that phrase you just said has a whole lot of baggage to it as well. But we we won't get into all (laughs) that today. Um
1: and, and just just recognizing he's that rabbi from Nazareth is Lord or he's not. Like I can't play games with this anymore. He's got to be who he is not based on my feelings. And why would somebody go to a course in miracles, some revelation in the 20th century? Like if if gospel mark is not reliable, why am I trusting dreams and visions from two, 100 years ago? Right. I mean, that's le- that's more reliable, right? Yep. So I just realized more and more of that and I remember I was exhausted it was Christmas season. And uh, I just bought a book uh, by actually Presbyterian scholar uh, I think it was PCA but Kenneth Bailey, mm-hmm. um, great scholar. I really like him um, even more now that I know more of his stuff. His work on Luke 15 is, I think, superb. But it was a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. Anyway, I was really tired, too tired to read one night, and I looked up just to see if there's any audio content I could listen to. First thing that pops up is a sermon of his on the parable of the two brothers, or the traditionally known as the parable of the prodigal son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that sermon it just kind of wrapped up five years of thinking for me. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I know he gave the sermon shortly before he died. Um, I hope one day to meet him and thank yeah. him. Oh, yeah. Um, because just everything, I mean, it wasn't, oh, technicalities of the age of the patriarchs. or the, You know, these debates that matter. I'm not saying they don't matter. Yep. Uh, uh, to be clear, I don't want people to hear me saying, don't think. <laughs> what I'm saying is, okay, Jesus his essential claim about the nature of himself, nature of reality. And here's the gospel within the gospel wrapped up in a parable. So you're not, you know, this is the, in a sense, the essence of what I'm teaching, yeah. which is to rely wholly upon me. Yep. Both the lawbreaker and the law keeper. What are we going to do with Jesus? And then he says at the end of the sermon, and we are on stage. And what? Do, and we have to answer the same question. Mm. That's how we ended the sermon. Hmm. And have you ever had a nightmare where you're not sure if, what's real and you're like afraid to move? Mm-hmm. I had that, but of course, totally awake. Right. And it was the first time that I feel like, at the deepest part of who I am, hmm. I recognized I'm not Christian. Yeah. And I've never been. Doesn't matter how many times I've emotionally bore my testimony. Doesn't matter how many good things I've said about
0: Jesus. Yep. I have never yep. been a Christian. Yep. But I think I want to be. Mm. I think I want to be a Christian. Yeah, that moment of being confronted. Yeah, with the the call. Yeah, to either be completely dependent upon, immersed in, yeah. consumed with Jesus, or not.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. On the deepest part of us, and in terms of the epistemology, the most presuppositional level, the self-attesting Christ of Scripture, mm-hmm. that there is no higher authority, right than than mm-hmm. than He. Yeah. So I, I mean, even then, right, it took time because my life had to change. I mean, I was living in a chaotic way. Um, And even on the outside where I didn't look at, the people that knew me best knew it. And on the inside, I always felt it. But I just thought, well, you know, once again, just put in the work, just work your way out. I'm going to fix the problem. I'm going to progress. I'm going to become God. And um, so you know, but eventually, uh, the, of course, there's several steps in between. I figured that was a good one to point out. Um, I reached out. To, well, actually, uh, excuse me. Uh, it was my brother who yeah. did uh, when the COVID stuff was happening. He was looking around for churches,
0: and yeah. um, that's a, that's a whole other element to the story that you know. And maybe maybe we'll have Colin on someday to to yeah. talk a little bit. But you you and your brother are really. Working through all this stuff absolutely. at the same time together. Yeah.
1: No one could ask for a better brother. Yeah, biologically. Than, yeah. Than so I that's have. the
0: background there. With absolutely your, your it, brother and you both yeah. had pretty similar uh, testimony when it comes to leaving LDSism and Mormonism <laughs> yeah. and coming into Biblical Christianity. Uh, so, absolutely. so your brother is reaching out to churches. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and really quickly on that, I should say on our on May sixteenth, twenty twenty one. It was not just me, but my mother, praise God, and my brother, yeah, praise mm-hmm. God, that we all got baptized uh, the same day. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I haven't mentioned him a ton. Just I figure it's his story to tell. Mm-hmm. Is uh, same with my mom. We all have different. We're very different. We're similar in other ways. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if that video is posted of his. You did a panel discussion. Yeah, the video is
0: so poor quality, you can't hear okay. the audio, unfortunately. But
1: Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. because it was, I thought it was a good job. But yeah, maybe we can have him on sometime. But yeah, I mean, I, just to show you, I mean, I have a lot of, I have so many regrets still. Um, I feel like, I mean, I remember telling my brother about Michael God and telling him I believed it. I know it's called Adam God out there, but for those that believe it, they call him Michael God um and i don't know just it's a great mercy right to to see from a distance that's not just so wrapped up in my psychological mm-hmm. emotional experience uh intellectual experience uh, as well um the spirit truly work on somebody yes. and transform them yep. it it's um yeah, i i love my brother i would love him of course if that hadn't happened as well right. but i i just praise god and to yeah. see him you know catechizing his children is yeah. seriously one of the joys of my life mm. even today That's so good and uh yeah so we he reached out to pastor Brian Tebben um who was doing a Luke series at the time mm-hmm. and um you know and he was a very important figure in um taking us through. I mean I still had questions about the distinctives of reformed theology new perspective that's out there that by the way, uh, people that listen to Blake Osler does not support Mormonism. Yeah. <laughs> the new perspective, uh, believe me, I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> E.P. Sanders and Jimmy Dunn aren't promoting Mormonism yeah. as being Paul's view. But anyway, um, I, you know, but I still had questions about, you know, you know, the distinctives and he, he helped me quite a bit, um, through that period. Yeah. And I will say that baptismal day, you know, um, I'm often asked, you know, when you were born again, uh, I don't really ever know how to answer that. But I think about as objective as I can get is that baptismal day. Not that I trust in it for the source of salvation or anything, but I um, th- th- it was something else to publicly, and it, maybe this is an opportunity to reaffirm that, publicly renounce Mormon gods, mm-hmm. the Mormon gods, and to publicly disavow Mormonism at, at every level. Yeah. That I do not believe Joseph Smith was in any way a prophet who restored in any way anything, and that even at its best it is a distraction from the real Christ and His own authority. Yeah, and that I am sorry uh, to all those I've promoted Mormonism to in any way in yeah. my life, and that's that includes unfortunately longer list than I'd like to, uh, you know, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. You know, I just, I renounce it. I'm different now. And I, maybe, you know, one day they'll maybe even hear this. Yeah. And hear, have an opportunity through the podcast to hear more of why.
0: Yeah. Even if they don't really feel comfortable asking me yep. personally. Why. Yep. That's good. That's good. I appreciate you sharing that story. It's uh, it's always encouraging hearing testimonies of God's grace. Um, yeah. Yeah. He saves people out of all sorts of stuff, uh, you know. Yes, um, and not be, not that we deserve it. No, at any point, not at all. Um,
1: there's nobody that deserved it less. I used to mock the Trinity. Mm. I used to mock it and think it was foolish. And even to a Christian girl who yeah. was one of my best friends, who who I lost, yep, uh, as a friend because I pressure. I I I look back and it's just, yeah. it, it, I'm. It's shameful. Yep, it's absolutely shameful. That's good.
0: Well, let, let's, let's go ahead and transition here, and, the, and this next part will be short because we, we do need to wrap this episode up. But um, I just want to talk a little bit about the purpose of the podcast, and uh, now, now that you kind of know who you're listening to, I want to cover what you're going to be listening to. In the interest of this podcast, at the core, is to pursue what is true. Um, and so we we want listeners who are LDS to be able to listen to this and to grapple with what is true. We're, we're not trying to uh, just run a smear campaign here no. at all. We, we actually want to rightly represent LDS theology. And I know that it's hard to say that because there's so many, there. there, there is a wide spectrum when it comes to LDS belief these days. There's uh, I mean, we've really even traced out, and I mean, this, a lot of this even comes from you, Skylar, But the there's a more liberal theology that's coming out of guys who study at places like Harvard, and, and I mean, it's just pure theological liberalism there. And those people are still in the LDS Church, teaching the same curriculum on Sundays as another faction of people, which would be more of the BYU. Uh, professorship and some of the things that are coming out of there through through uh, organizations like the Interpreter. Um, so there's there's the moderates, if you want to call them that. Um, they're going to have some liberal theology bent. And by the way, when I say liberal theology, p- please understand I'm not using that in political terms. I'm using that in th- theological terms. You can you can be conservative in your theology hypothetically and hold to liberal uh, you know politics, and vice versa. You can be liberal in your yeah theology and hold the conservative politics so I'm not talking about political categories there I'm talking about how you view the scriptures how you view truth things of that nature and then there there is maybe what you would call the old line like the the old school thinkers those who are trying to hold on to some of the fundamentals of Mormonism as you as you would say, and so we want to deal with that as well. Yes. And we, we want to try to be able to present these different positions in a way that the person who holds those positions would, would be able to say, yeah, I agree with that. So as we're working through these things, we're not trying to uh, offend. We don't want to be offensive. We, we just want to be clear. Um, and so we would welcome even listener feedback if you're LDS and you feel like we've wrongly represented a particular position within the spectrum. Of beliefs, then let us know. Um, we want to be as accurate as we can with how we're presenting it. But then we want to take those LDS beliefs and teachings, and we want to put them up against um, what we're calling creedal Christianity. Substitute that for biblical Christianity. Yes. Substitute that, you know, maybe in a even in a broader sense for evangelical Christianity. But what we mean by creedal Christianity... Uh, is just these beliefs that have been held to historically by the church, these core doctrines um, that we would say constitute the, the, uh, the good deposit that Timothy was told to guard by Paul. Um, we want to we claim that the, the deposit has been guarded by the church through the centuries, um, even if in, uh, in, a, in a smaller way through different points in church history, but certainly in a larger way by the movement of God, at other points. So, um, so the purpose of the podcast then is to clarify distinctions between Mormonism and creedal Christianity. That's what we're aiming to do. You want to add anything to the purpose before we touch on the format of the podcast? I think you said it extremely well. Okay. That's what we're aiming to do. Now, what's the format of the podcast then going to be? Primarily, what we're going to be doing is walking through the weekly curriculum that the LDS Church uses uh, in every single meeting house, basically, in the world. Um, Every ward has a Sunday school curriculum that they study together. Uh, It's actually a a weekly curriculum, um, not necessarily studied in the church every week, but it is to be studied by the individuals in the church on a weekly basis. And that curriculum is called the Come Follow Me curriculum. And there are different varieties of the curriculum. We've got the Sunday School Manual, which is for teachers. So we'll be working through that. Uh, That's the stuff that those who are facilitating the classes in the wards will teach from. And then there's the manual for individuals and families. The expectation is that every LDS member will be studying through this curriculum on their own in their homes. Um, That's a big emphasis that they make. You need to be really diving into this on your own deeply. Now, that curriculum follows basically a four-year rotation. Each year, they cover a different, uh, I I guess we call it, one of their scriptures. Yeah, their standard works. Yeah, that's right. Um, And so this year, they're studying the New Testament. So we want to use the New Testament to clarify distinctions. Um, now, we also want to be clear on where similarities exist. You know, we're, we're, again, not just here to smear everything and and be always contra what's presented in the manual. We want to be people of the truth, so we want to be able to identify what is true in the manual, even as we clarify where we would make distinctions as creedal Christians. Um, so the format will be to, we hope Lord willing, post a weekly podcast. Uh, we, we are a little bit behind in the year, so we're going to play some catch up here in, uh, January. So be on the lookout for, for some of, of that. But then once we get caught up, our goal is to put out a weekly podcast that just walks through the curriculum. That'll be our weekly driver. Uh, we both dream about potentially doing other, you know, bonus episodes here and there that, Perhaps we'll bring on other scholars and thinkers, things of that nature. Um, but the idea is going to be to put uh, various forms within the spectrum of Mormonism and LDSism up against uh, maybe even some various forms of credo Christianity, because we're we we would claim that there is a core teaching within credo Christianity, but there can be some variety within some of the peripheral views. Yep. And we're comfortable with that. That's why a Baptist and a Presbyterian are in the same room together, <laughs> yep. um, talking about this stuff. So that's going to be the format. And uh, I don't, I don't know. Do you, you have anything you want to add on that as well, Skylar? Just, I mean, what what are you hoping to to do in this podcast? What are you excited about?
1: Well, just to, I guess, reiterate what you've said. I want to respectfully and in an intellectually engaging way represent both sides and the range on both sides, given particular issues. I'm sure there will be issues that will come up in the New Testament that will be read differently, but I want to show how the even the debates among Christians, how that differs from the debates that Mormons have had, say, between Brigham Young, Orson Pratt, Joseph mm-hmm. Fielding Smith, and Russell M. Nelson. Um, so we want to honor the distinctives, the diversity, and the unity. Yeah. And if we're making the claim of distinction to show that all throughout there's a distinction, not just pigeonhole one opinion of Brigham Young against one opinion of John Calvin. That is not the goal here. Right. Um, even if we're, we're going to bring both up. Yep. Um, so I hope that makes sense and alerts people to the sincerity of our goal. And I hope we more or less achieve it Yeah.
0: Uh, throughout good. the year. Yeah. Well, I said, we put a bow on this one and, uh, yeah, we look forward to you joining us. For week one of the study, hopefully in the next few days. So be on the lookout Look out for that. Thanks for listening.